Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Eraserhead by David Lynch, The Fly by David Cronenberg, Army of Darkness, directed by Sam Raimi, A Ghost Story by David Lowery, and newly released The Last Duel, directed by Ridley Scott. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay, it's going okay. Uh, how was your uh, week of movies? Week of movies was good. We are finally closing out the spooky vibes. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. the blockbuster itself that we have to talk about this week isn't a horror movie in itself, but uh, uh, happy to draw this this month of spooky horror movies to a close. I've watched a lot. You really uh, have. I know there there may be some stragglers here and there because I do still have an interest, you know, in in diving in. But uh, like we we were talking about a little bit, I gotta I gotta save some stuff for fuel in the tank, you know, <laughs> down the road. Yeah, we hope we make it until next year. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you did a number on this October. You did quite a lot. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to be rounding it out a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have some some good ones on here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do we want to jump in with our earliest first? Uh, yes, and a doozy. To start with, yeah, we're gonna start. We're, we're back in 1977. Um, David Lynch for the director, and the movie is Eraserhead. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and talk about this. This is a doozy of a film. Uh, Eraserhead for those those that may not know this, those that may not know David Lynch's very surreal style in what he directs and the stories he tells. Uh, this is a black and white film by style, uh, not by limitations or or, or technical side of it. Uh, and is, in a nutshell, the elevator pitch, it's industrial horror. Uh, it is okay. uh, very much um, trying to cast a type of, man, uh, it, it is a, a doozy of a film. <laughs> it's trying to cast this, this oppressive despair environment and follows a, a, a gentleman through a relationship that basically goes wrong. I think that's probably staying away from spoilers. And even in my notes, uh, in kind of the, the quick note of uh, talk about the movie a little bit, if I could even start to talk about the movie, we go into... It's one of these. Very surreal, yes. Okay. It is absolutely one of these. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is one of the earliest, if not the first works of David Lynch. Uh, and I'll be honest, watching this, 
I've seen parts of Eraserhead because it is something that has a cult following to it, is pretty infamous, honestly, for the type of horror it it unveils, uh, almost unique in that no one really has had to try something so surreal uh, and so out there. Okay. Uh, And... I think it lies primarily in the theme of it's this industrial horror, oppressive mood, despair. It is not exactly a joy to watch this film. And that film and this film is very much directed towards not being necessarily entertaining. It is conveying a mood and conveying a very particular surreal mood as well. Was on my list forever for that reason, though, because it is infamous in that type of way. Uh, I think it is one of those horror films that... Uh, kind of stands alone, uh, which is which is great to see. Uh, certainly brought me into it. It was on kind of on a list for me forever. Uh, but uh, that's exactly why I want to try to navigate it because is this film, bottom line, worth your time? Uh, if you've kind of heard of the following it has, right, is it right. something worth diving into, basically? So was it overall, was it very moody? Was it just like... How how were you feeling watching it? Like it, uh, unsettled. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, to a I, point where not enjoyable. I mean, you were watching a horror movie. You want to be unsettled in a way. True. Uh, a very good point. Uh, how would I distinguish this? Uh, the film almost does things in its story, in its sound design, and I'll definitely circle back on both of those uh, to give more detail. But the film does things intentionally to confuse the audience, to uh, create disarray, to create uncomfortable, very uncomfortable sequences. <laughs> okay, uh, and in that, it is successful. This film is more of a mood than a story. Um, mm. On two levels, there one in the execution. You watch this film. You know, you're you're kind of more uh, enveloped into the experience it's giving you necessarily than the than the narrative elements, uh, but as well, I think the film is is absolutely going for that. Uh, it is intentionally yeah. trying to you know. Right, David execute. Lynch is, knows exactly what it is he's doing. One hundred percent. Right. Right. One hundred percent. And and impressive. Uh, I. I'll be honest, uh, David Lynch as a director, haven't watched a huge amount of his stuff. Of course, I've given Twin Peaks a shot, uh, just because that seems to be uh, the you know his 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 claim to fame. I can't say this movie would give me a heads or tails if I would watch more David Lynch or not, because it is so unique in that fashion. But I think his dive into surrealism and surrealism creating moments of conflict and tension. That is in the DNA of this film, very simply. I think it would be a bit. In, I mean, when you watch Lynch's movies too, it's and or what his work is. Mm-hmm. It, maybe it's he he tries to do that through and through. You can almost tell when it's David Lynch. Sometimes it hits or sometimes it misses. For, I mean, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. You had okay, so you had Eraserhead, then the Elephant Man, and then Dune. Oh right, right. You know, yeah. Which is he put he, 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 you know <laughs> it gets the hit feel. or miss for sure. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it does have a feel. There's unmistakably a feel. Right. Um. But 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 yeah, that that's interesting. It's good to hear because this is his first big film. Uh, everything yeah, right. before this was shorts. Absolutely. Um. So it's good to see like. It's also why it's such a big movie right off the bat, because mm-hmm. he's hitting those marks with how it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. but maybe doesn't. The overall uh, package of the film is... It's very weird. Um, let's focus on some of the good before I go into the bad. Yeah, go for um, it. As far as what is the best part about this, and if there's going to be a creative vision, uh, a a follow-through on what the final execution of the film is, it's, it's in the sound. That's the horror right there, is in the sound design. When I say industrial horror, 
it, it doesn't necessarily come in the setting being in a almost like a Pittsburgh, you know, uh, factory town type of environment. There is that. There is oppression of a, of a system beyond these characters that is conveyed by the by the movie. It's really encapsulated in the droning noise that goes on and on, and you know, it could be anything from a clicking in the sound design to uh, some grating noise or white noise that is slowly growing louder and louder through scenes and ebbs and flowing. Uh, I think it's a positive part because it's not annoying, and I feel like that is such a fine line to being, wow, this film is annoying, and I, I, I you know, it, it's not palatable right. for that reason. It's done so well. It, walk- that, it, it walks that line. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it has that... Uh, it has that balancing act to being a great part of the film and probably, I would say, the most notable part, part of the film because, again, if a horror is going to exist anywhere, it's not in the narrative because it's just very surreal. And, and once again, we'll get to that in just a second, but the visuals as well, you could very easily say, and especially if you know Eraserhead, man, this is, you know, something out there, and there is a, a scare to that in itself. I think it, it lies much deeper in that throughout the entire film, it's predispositioning you to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. to be uneasy, and in that, there is a success, again, in the execution of what he's trying to create as an experience. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say, is it, I mean, that really comes down to Lynch, because, I mean, he's all through this movie, right? It's one mm-hmm. of his first ones, like, when it comes to music, oh, sure. some of this effects and everything like that, and just every, and writing, too was him mm-hmm. so this is like yeah this, uh, absolutely his baby yeah, uh, yeah when it comes down to it um uh, the narrative elements are is where it loses me though uh, as far as it maybe being a first person dive into a madman's mind and how it works uh it kind of works again i think my judgment there is more so the execution of what feelings and what experience this movie creates as you're watching it over its runtime mm-hmm. most of the story beats are unsettling uh but with when it comes down to all of the all of the story, all of the narrative for these characters and our main character, I I, I forget his name. I don't know if we actually even get a name for the main guy. Um, yeah, the characters are interesting how how they are. Uh, but yeah, he's Henry Spencer. Henry Spencer. Yeah, and everyone else is Mary X, Mister X, Mrs. Yes, X. yes, yeah, very yeah. cool. When it comes to our main character, I, I think bottom line, most of the story beats there is horror to it. There is an unsettling element to how he's dealing with the truly, truly odd things he's that he's put in front of and the, and the conflict of the movie and these characters. Um, I think the problem with it is that every piece, every scene uh, has a deeper analog. There is a deeper reference or something symbolic. And I think... Maybe because it's Lynch's first film, he's he's given it his all. He he wants to uh, just uh, you know pack so much in here, and there's a lot to uncover with those analogs and with those mm-hmm. allegories uh, for each of the scenes. I think what it robs the film, if I had to really get down to it, why the story itself doesn't work for me, is that there's nothing there. Is the me- problem is is every dial he has, he's turning it to eleven. A little bit, and it's like a little bit, and it's it's almost like he needs to hold back on some of things. I think so. I think if I had a problem with it, is that 
everything can have a reference or, or an allegory for what it stands for in our characters' lives, but if the the actual story itself does not have some sort of cohesion mm. or some sort of uh, maybe even enjoyment factor if I'm being super critical about this. The problem with that is then why not just make the story about the the analogies themselves or what they're supposed to represent? I feel like there's a, a misleading and almost a frustration factor to the story because you can really dive into what um, these these uh, the main character has uh, a lot of not mental breakdowns, but he has a lot of introspective moments that he dives into uh, a, a kind of an altered space. I'm fine with that, and I like what they're what they're drawing to. The problem is the real. If you had to lay out the what's actually going on in the story beat per beat, mm-hmm. it's nonsensical, and more importantly, it's very frustrating to follow. Um, again, maybe that's the point of the film, sure. and I'm, I'm certainly thinking that's that's interesting. But it's almost like pick, make it about mm-hmm. this guy. And and it's and what happens is is what it seems like when he's trying to split this space with the movie is there's not there's not a glue holding it together mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. uh, and, and that, that glue or... absolutely and I think I think where it comes off as is the main story is weak uh, I I don't think it's 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 right, got it's much meat on the bones for that reason because it's just always racing right, to right. these surreal analogies of what something means in our main character's life okay or something okay like that. Um, it is a wild film to try to approach, though, because it is really <laughs> surreal. Is the tagline here um, uh, something something really truly out there? And I think it, it does succeed in trying to create that experience. But generally, I, I think when it comes to our investment, especially for horror, we have to place our ourselves in the main character or at least be able to experience this and as a narrative story i think generally it doesn't work and if that's how we're associating ourselves with the horror on screen that's a little bit of a problem for me yeah visually i think it it falls into almost a must-see because it is so out there uh and so crazy uh but bottom line i think this movie is more of a feeling than and an experience, a mood, more than something narratively. You have to uh, you have to look to uh, and and find a, a spot for you to watch in the many different horrors you can watch. I think the surrealist elements probably are. Not done anywhere else. Uh, I couldn't necessarily give this. Oh, uh, instead of watching this, watch something else. Sure. Uh, it is definitely unique in yeah, that. Yeah, it's quite so. a standalone, right? Uh, but again, where I think it is a big knock to is that for as as unique as it is, and maybe I, in this criticism, I'm playing into directly what the intention of this piece of art is. It is frustrating, and it's frustrating to see when you even are forming expectations of where this movie is going, and it's a lot of depth um no the depth is there it's almost too much depth it's almost like all depth Very it's mariana's okay. trench <laughs> uh but and in that itself it, gonna, so you're just frustrated trying to get out <laughs> yeah yeah you're right. just <laughs> um but uh, uh a, a very difficult movie to talk about because uh like a lot of horror I don't want to give away a spoiler in what some of these surrealist elements are. Sure, sure. Uh, and I think uh, if you are into any kind of art house movie, uh, if you are certainly a fan of David Lynch in any capacity, I think this is probably required viewing uh, just to see, you know, truly what he does behind the camera, behind the lens, and 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 in the story of it. 
when he first, you know, got his big break to make this film. I think there is a uh, unchained element to it, which is interesting to see. But I think, again, bottom line, it doesn't work for me because what I'm getting invested into, certainly visually stunning uh, and shocking in a lot of regard, uh, but when it comes into how I'm getting invested in the characters on screen, it is an absolute miss because it's just so out there. Okay. There is no investment uh, for these characters then. Uh, with that said, we are going to go ahead and give Eraserhead a 62. Okay, 62, not terrible. Yeah. I don't think still it, it dipped decent, any decent, lower than that. It's a decent score still. Yeah. I, I think uh, <laughs> there's also a very real talk that I have to say to myself to say, you got to like weird movies to... <laughs> To, to dive in this, this, okay. this one. It's, it's a weird one. Uh, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, 62 is still a pretty good score, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So that was David Lynch's first. Uh, we're going to move on now to a very classic film, uh, jumping to 1986. It's going to be The Fly. The Fly. Okay. Uh, David Cronenberg. Absolutely. Uh, and for the little bit of the Cronenberg project uh, that I've been doing over the yeah we've been yeah people haven't been watching you know mm. or you know downloading and, and listening chronologically kind of we've definitely been there's been a trickle of mm. Cronenberg and it's all been leading kind of to the fly just because that's his biggest well-known one absolutely I yeah I, I think I think I would yeah it would be safe to say that I, it is I, his yeah most I think if, well I think if you went and polled audiences whether there's you know fans of film or not mm-hmm. Every you go ahead and, and give them a list of Cronenberg's movies. Right, people would just naturally say the biggest one's The Fly. Absolutely, and I think The Fly is successful in probably in the few type of movies that we saw as fifties kind of schlocky horror. Uh, the remakes of them now being the definitive story, you know, mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. main way to view that type of story. I think The Fly does succeed. This is, of course. Uh, one of those remakes, much like uh, uh, Body Snatchers or The Blob or, you know, the list goes on and on. This is one of those that is a remake of one of those 50s films, The Fly, that was these kind of creature feature monster movies and taken to a much more serious regard. Uh, the Fly itself is really primarily a romance kind of relationship film wrapped up in some scientific some scientific horror some sci-fi horror Jeff Goldblum is our lead in it uh, and then I believe it is also Gina G- Davis Gina Davis and performance wise pretty good uh, I think there's a lot of intrigue when this movie starts you you I was how was it's I would love to almost be back then when the movie came out because everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum is such a character. He's a character of a character <laughs> yeah. almost. But that's because yeah. we know him almost post-fly. Yep, yep. It'd be interesting to see how he was looked at back then, seeing the film for the first time. Yeah, but yeah. How was... How was? I think as the lead, he is interesting to watch on screen. He certainly sells this type of loner scientist vibe. Oh my gosh, uh, that yeah, is yeah. From it. I, I think overall, though, the, the movie itself is is pretty boring uh and i that that's not a criticism that i give very often because i think that's probably pretty subjective uh but i i think it's almost painfully boring and i bring this up to your to your question because i don't think jeff goldblum and all his zaniness can save that you know i don't think there's enough novelty to his performance it's not just him 
Yes. You could have the most it's eccentric Goldblum on screen, but there's there's more going on that that's There's more going on and I don't think Goldblum can save it either. Right, right. Okay, reason, right. You know. Uh the mystery and the science of this is presented in an intriguing way and really is the best part about it. Obviously, you know, uh, there, there's no point in kind of going back and, and wishing something was a certain way. But really, uh, if if that element of it, if the technical side of it was amped up, I think it would be much more of a horror. But instead, what is put in the forefront is this relationship between Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. It may be silly to say because I honestly have never seen the original fly uh, of the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the old 50s creature feature. That is probably a factor in there that the main character has a relationship. And you can probably saying you can probably say, hey, no, duh. Uh, if we're going to have stakes in uh, a man transforming into a fly, uh, then we got to care about the relationship. Uh, I think the relationship aspect is given way too much center stage, almost to a point of one third in the film. Uh, I, in the midst of this boringness, I was getting invested in these characters and almost forgot like what movie I was watching. <laughs> like it's, it's really surprising to hear. It is. It's surprising. I bet you were. You haven't seen it before. Uh, I've seen only probably parts uh, leading okay. up to this, right. and, and definitely was fuel for this Cronenberg kind of watching. Yeah, project. your first time, critically, you're sitting down and watching. Exactly. It. Yeah, I, I bet you weren't su- expecting that at all. Yeah. I'm not. I'm surprised to hear that there was. It was quite boring. <laughs> a, quite boring, and and primarily a a relationship kind of romance film that goes awry. Uh, that's that's really the structure of it, and mm. I and I think that's a miss uh, for for. Especially the the infamy of this film and what right in the name what everyone's expecting. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like all right, come on, let let it get going. You know, there was it was it was pulling teeth. Uh, wow, a little bit. yeah, very uh, very surprised yeah. to hear that. Yeah, once we do get going, second act, uh, it's <laughs> it does uh, my criticism doesn't stop because it, it feels like a bad superhero film. Uh, it feels like a. Uh, like a proto seventy or wow. what, what was this eighty two? What was it? this? Was uh, what was eighty six? Eighty six. It feels like a proto superhero film. There's a obviously a discovery of what's going on, and maybe that is the science element that I was craving. But it's a it's a bad one. The shock of the horror is not punchy enough. Bottom line, it, it's there for those who know the infamy of this movie and what's coming. But for brand new eyes, myself included, right, right, it is drawn out almost painfully. So. And what's weird is like this is Cronenberg. Like, I mean, this time period for Cronenberg is peak weird, Absolutely. crazy effects. You know, if you're going into it wanting a Cronenberg mm-hmm. movie, like I guess it was. I'm sure it was a bit of a shock because you've really been enjoying his his work. One hundred percent, and it was definitely the the draw of why this project, this watching project, came about. <laughs> it was it was fueled yeah, by right, saying, right. "Hey, let's track back the fly and let's look at the history of special effects to one of the most impressive special effects, uh, or at least marked uh, by 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 film critics and sure. and film lovers." So. I think I, I, that's a perfect transition. By that time that the practical effects are amping up, there, there's almost nothing left to the movie. Okay. Uh, as a result, it makes the movie feel like more of a relationship drama gone wrong. You know, <laughs> like there's almost like a, a serendipity, you know, not, not serendipity, but like, a, you know, a, it's, 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 a, it's a slippery slope to this relationship rather than a scientific horror thriller is, is what I expected. And believe me, folks, I'm not 
knocking this movie because I had expectations differently. I'm saying the film is weaker for the emphasis that it puts on it. And I really challenge anyone, especially if you've seen The Fly before, watch it with fresh eyes. This film does not have the punchiness you want out of a horror, no less a Cronenberg Cronenberg horror. horror. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I really wasn't expecting that, to be honest with you. You just assume The Fly, because it has the name recognition, I think. Right. And solely just re- right name recognition. Exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah, I was expecting uh, definitely more positive words from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any more to go on? Or? Uh, the, the I would say, if, uh, if it is going to be about the relationship, uh, the emotional drama of Jeff and Gina, um, that's where all the focus is. Uh, I think there is some... Some things to like there. Uh, again, in the first act, I almost forgot what movie I was watching because it was—it's so much. Uh, so much is put on it, uh, and I think we do get great performances out of them. If the film is going to be what it is, uh, I can't knock it too much because I do. I do like their chemistry on on screen. I like their their relationship on screen, and of course, when tensions rise up, I think they're both giving a good performance. So let me not knock it entirely, and especially I want to make a note of that because this is one of the bigger feathers in Jeff Goldblum's cap. Big time, yeah. Uh, you know, in, yeah. in, in his I mean, if you filmography. go, yeah, because kind of, I remember like even like five years ago, because again, there's such a character behind Jeff Goldblum, and he pops up in silly things, and he right. and what is it, Tim and Eric will pop up, yes, then, yeah. and then he'll go into um, Portland. India and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then you think of just like, where did he get his chops? Like, where did he even accept? And it's just like, oh my gosh, that's right. He was in the fly. Right. Um, good. That's good to hear that he was able to hold his own as far as like his character was good, his acting was good. Right. And Gina Davis as well. Yeah. But I just think, you know, uh, for what this, what this uh, film has as its uh, legacy of being this uh, practical effects horror, you know, masterpiece, it, it you know, it, it fell short uh, for me. Uh, and I certainly think, you know, if the focus is going to be on the relationship, the movie has heart, the movie has stakes. Uh, it just dials back the horror and slows the movie down. Bottom line, what was missing for me is the roller coaster of the story that I've come to know Cronenberg films to be. And I've come to know his directing style to be, of what kind of stories he decides to tell. Uh, and Believe me, don't get me wrong, my disappointment here is not built-up expectations that I've self-imposed on myself. This is, if anything, looking at this with, I believe, a pretty good repertoire of what I know a good Cronenberg film to be, and uh, it's looking like Videodrome's the champ out of that. Okay. We're going to go ahead and give The Fly a 40. Wow! I was thinking maybe at least over 50 still, but wow, I, that, that tells a lot. To be I'm telling you. you, I challenge anyone to watch that film. That film... Wow, just a flat 40. Oh, boy, you to tears. Really, really surprised. Really surprised yeah, to Believe me, that. I was too. And that... and that, about a letdown. Like, once in a while, you watch one, and there'll be an 80 that pops up. Sure. And it's like, where did that come from? Right. Same thing. With I, that, I just know. On the, the opposite spectrum. It's it's a cruel irony because the whole this whole project was born from the fly. Yeah, <laughs> it was leading up to the fly this entire <laughs> time. Yeah, what do you know? Well, um, we, there may be some more Cronenberg that I dive into. So uh, he's got a pretty big filmography. He does. He does. And there's definitely some more horror as well. But I think we can we hit put the, a break. We on hit that. the big horror ones now. We have Absolutely. some of those things he was known for. Absolutely. Um, and really, the fly after this, he really. Um, he does maybe some horror, but he gets into totally different genres after the fly. Yeah, he steps into different things. Eastern Promises always blows my mind. I know. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I think I think for now the practical effects critical outlook of that is uh, is we're we're putting it on ice. Very good. Uh, I guess we'll see how controversial that is for the uh, from the producers. And if anybody wants to write us in, right, the fly is forty. <laughs> sure, I love yeah. it. I think and I think the reasoning was spot on too. Yeah. 
unfortunately now I don't know whether I'll watch it to agree or disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, no, that's pretty that, that's pretty good. Let's, well, let's keep it moving here. One more from Sam Raimi. And again, mm-hmm. if you were following with our previous episode, we had the Evil Dead 1 and 2. This mm-hmm. is kind of the third one, but yes. it's not Evil Dead 3. It says Army of Darkness. 1992, directed by Sam Raimi. Okay, so, yeah, uh, and the confusion in your voice, I think, is a perfect example of why I kind of wanted to tackle this, because before watching these, again, uh, like I put in the the Evil Dead 1 and 2 review, uh, cult classics, it's hard to kind of navigate, because you don't know where it fits in. It's just weird that, so this is the third one. This is absolutely the third one. But it's not Evil Dead 3. It's not even Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. The movie's just just called Army Army of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so much in the same, in the trilogy of it, is that, I mean, this is, once again, much how Evil Dead, from Evil Dead 1 to 2, it picked up seconds later right once again same, same thing. deal same deal and bruce campbell's back yep yep uh bruce campbell i think is once again uh much how evil dead 2 it was more about giving him a platform for his comedy chops uh, which were great and are great in this film as well that is amped up even more this film is a time jumping time hopping adventure i maybe i shouldn't say time hopping because it's really only to one place but it Unlike the previous two films, this takes place in a medieval times. Uh, there is uh, not not the restaurant. <laughs> it is actually in kind of a feudal time period that he gets transported to and is facing against the same kind of possessing evil, but just the source of it. It is a full-on comedy adventure now for that reason. Uh, okay. There is... I. I would say horror dressings, obviously, to the whole affair, but it is all played for goofs and gaffs and jokes and and gags. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I think it's really going to depend, because I want to come at it from a, a neutral standpoint. If you like Bruce Campbell and his style of humor and definitely the goofiness that you've seen in Evil Dead 2 from prosthetic work, uh, to visual gags uh, and and visual creativity, I think there's a lot to to like about the film in that regard. But if that's not your bag, this is probably a hard pass, and I need to kind of put that caveat in because if these jokes aren't landing with you, guess what? It is the whole movie. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> um, so and, and, and two was a big step up in the comedy, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, but two definitely had some moments where wow, this is kind of scary. You know, this is this is a uh, an actual like horrific type of wow imagine if i was going into this where this is fantasy mixed with comedy basically and yes it has like undead stylings to it is it like scary money python you know that is not it's a like bad Halloween one. Monty Python. Well, it doesn't have British humor at all. Okay, uh, but it's just like dumb. maybe what is you know that what, might be a good elevator pitch. What, I like that. What is the humor then? Uh, the humor is probably a fifty-fifty. Oh, the humor is probably a fifty-fifty split between. Um, some uh, visual comedy uh, that comes to prosthetic work, to um, the the same type of goofiness of the evil 
that uh, Bruce Campbell interacts with from the previous films. Again, okay. the type of possessing demons, they're very mischievous. They're very manic. Uh, so and that ca- That's a through line that yes, carries. Yes, and when they're messing with them now, essentially now on their, their home turf or right. their time turf, uh, it, is, it is amped up. Uh, that also plays into the fact that this is now many years after Evil, to, Evil Dead 2 and many years after Evil Dead 1. Yeah, so yeah. The, pr- the type of practical effects that are here it's a little bit good and bad. I think it's put in the right areas to be comedic, uh, where Bruce Campbell will have a stretched face or something like that, or or there's a there's a cool miniature sequence that happens. I think overall, though, because those are dedicated, because the practical effects are dedicated to jokes, it feels like the practical effects, when it actually comes to the horror of, of this. It falls a little short. Um, my note here is, uh, and and for those that maybe decide to dive into these films or have seen them uh, in previously, there is nothing in this in the in these all three of these films like the face melting from Evil Dead One. That is the single best practical effect that Sam Raimi did in all these films, and it's so funny because it was in the first film and we never get back to it. Yeah, you. Were, I remember when he first said that, and mm-hmm. it's shocking to hear because one is the first one. It's years before you would. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's almost the opposite. Usually, effects always Absolutely. just get better it, with time. It's, it's inverse. Yeah. And then you have those pieces, those almost timeless pieces that mm-hmm. work, like some of those sets on Star Wars, you mm-hmm. know, some of the pieces there, with Lord of the Rings now being 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how some of those effects were just the way to go. I know. I know. Uh, I, I think visually, uh, it still has Sam Raimi's very... Uh, very iconic camera work, uh, how scenes are set up, how punchlines are done uh, uh, through maybe cutting to a certain thing quickly or, or setting up something visually that the audience sees but maybe the characters don't see. So all that is there. And I think the comedy works for the most part because of Bruce Campbell. Uh, he's he's really great on screen. I mean, if you're going to have a lead, he's funny. Like he, he's, I, You I, enjoyed I, him in every single... Absolutely. One, especially for the second one, you were like, he carries it yeah, all the way. Absolutely. And he has to carry this. Uh, where I want to direct some criticism is that for this film being a comedy adventure in a medieval time period there's obviously going to be some choreography around sword fighting there's obviously going to be some old-timey type of you know knights and ladies type of dressings to the type of conflict that they're going to engage in i think honestly that's that's really where it shows that the practical effects have taken yet another setback uh because while the practical effects are interesting when they are set up for comedic cues, that is certainly there. But when it's for the action and some of the, honestly, pretty large set pieces that the, hmm. the film dies okay. into, one, it doesn't hold up to the test of time. Okay. Uh, and, and that's a little bit of a shame uh, because you know, how do you compete with Lord of the Rings, <laughs> basically? Uh, and two, uh, it is. Uh, and two, it, it hits on a level that. Man, uh, it just does not look good, and the choreography doesn't mm. look good. And yes, it's all for jokes, but there's a but still, yeah, there, there's thing, an execution. Yes, you there's know. that thing of like, but still, exactly. It's like you were saying with the first one, where it's okay if you have goofy or something like that, but the characters were so dumb, oh. you couldn't get past it. Uh, nail on the head, yeah, nail on the head, yeah. Because you could say, oh well, it's a comedy. What do you, what do you, what do you worry about? Yeah, it's, it's like, no, still no, in still. the execution <laughs> of this. If I, right, it's still wa- that thing. If you were giving us, if you were setting the stage to be in a goofy medieval horror world, right. I, 
I need some sort of realistic realism exactly. in, that, in that world. Give me investment. Right. Give me I, something. I am agreeing to your premise. Mm-hmm. Now give me real things in your premise. Absolutely. Yeah. There has to be some sort of spine or structure to it. But, right. Um, but yeah. Uh, and for that reason as well, I mean, I think probably more than we've ever engaged in with the podcast, this is once again a direct sequel. So if you're I, – I can't exactly say, oh, well – Jump, jump, just jump into Army of Darkness. Right. You got to kind of know a little bit about what is happening in these previous films. Well, you can you said you can watch t- you don't you can skip one cuz 2 is a direct. Oh, very true. And it does have that recap in the yeah. a, a literal recap in the, right. <laughs> in the beginning of the film. Uh which is which is it's its own topic, yeah. but what I think was frustrating a little bit in approaching the criticism of this film is that you know, they, there's they they are literally picking up seconds after each of the films, despite the years uh, in production, mm-hmm, the sure. gaps in the production, yeah. uh, and it's just I don't know. I think it's it, it's no wonder to me after watching these three films that it was so not intimidating but so confusing to approach mm. uh, going yeah. at this series. Yeah. So. In that itself, I'm hoping that we can navigate that on the podcast a little bit, folks, to save you some time. You know, what we always talk about to, uh, you know, uh, is this worth watching? Uh, Because this one was definitely hard to maybe make that judgment call from a Google search or something like that, you know, or from, you know, word of mouth. Right, right. The title change, bottom line, though, for Army of Darkness, it is well needed uh, because the series has tonal whiplash. (laughs) If this was Evil Dead 3, I think it, honestly... That's that title. The title itself would hold it back a little bit more because it is so drastically, drastically different. Interesting. Okay. Uh, even in the conclusion of this film, no spoilers or anything, but you can definitely tell Sam Raimi is getting inspired by the the type of scenes that are presented towards the end of the film. It feels like Sam Raimi is writing very much in 1992 or when was the 92 92. It it feels the 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 title change though you could say oh it's a different title you know what, what does that mean I think it is honestly is a linchpin to some of the of my positive aspects of this film because uh, it needs to shake some of that off if it is going to pull such a weird twist uh, of this time travel horror medieval affair right okay uh, so uh, bottom line I I'm I'm still not in love I'm coming out of this in the same kind of lukewarm territory for this film franchise. Uh, I, I'm sorry if you're a, <laughs> a cult fan of this. I think it definitely deserves a watch with the boys, potentially. If you Again, if you like Bruce, Bruce Campbell, this is his platform. But uh, at least, you know, it, it, it's getting a nod from me for the concept, the comedy, but nothing else much, much more than that. We're going to go ahead and give Army of Darkness a 48. Uh, yeah. Sounds right. Also it's, controversial it's, to put that up against the fly. <laughs> yeah. That's when the producers are really gonna start kicking yeah, that's, in. That's, really good. that's when the producers can, we're gonna have to start having issues. Right. But hey, it's not like we, we understand where you're coming from. Yeah. You, you laid it all out and it's not and like listen, it, it's you weren't just swinging from the you know, swinging yeah. from the hip. I watch all three of these films and uh That is hilarious. I put in the time for this and I don't know. Bottom line, if I had to Army Darkness, you enjoyed eight percent more <laughs> than the fly, basically. I think it's eight percent more of a better film. <laughs> That's or so at least funny. I would never. I, I would lose all my money because I would bet the exact opposite. Oh, How I wanted fly... it to be. Yeah, 
I lost out on the bet too. <laughs> the fly got a forty. Yeah. I oh, I love out. it. Oh, I love it. Man. But um, uh, overall, for that film franchise, uh, I you know, middle of the road to a pass. Uh, sorry, it couldn't live up to the cult success of this, but uh, it's one of those things that if you like it already, you're gonna like it regardless. And if I could save you some time in diving into it, I would say probably not worth your time. Hey, yeah. Uh, but better than The Fly. That's the thing. If you had to choose, <laughs> now you know. You're digging in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But I love it. I think that's fantastic. I also like that it's an hour and 20 minutes, Army of Darkness. There's something oh, there true. that's There's something that is totally appropriate. That's it's true. It's like, you're moving along. We're here for, let's, yep. uh, let, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I love it, though. Okay, 48 for Army of Darkness. Let's keep it going. Uh, jumping ahead a few number of years here. Uh, we're in 2017, and this is pretty going to be our last kind of spooky story for, I little, think so. for a little while now. I think yeah. so, yeah. Um, and let's see how we end things here, if we can crack it over 65 or something like that. But <laughs> it's a ghost story. A ghost story. Okay, so this was a indie art house darling of 2017. Uh, it came out, correct? Uh, yep. And when it comes to why this movie was on my radar, it got a lot of hype. Uh, this is... I feel one of the feathers in the cap of a lot of art house horror that came about. Certainly, this holds the crown for one of the first, if not the first, of this revivaled letterbox style on the screen. This, uh, I don't know if it's four by three, but it's it's a it's not a full resolution of the screen. There are black borders on each of the sides. Oh, it's not um, the 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 aspect ratio is not. Is it nine by seventeen? Yeah, uh, nine. I've by, heard it referred to a few different I think ways. It's nine by sixteen is yeah. what we're typically used to now, especially mm-hmm. when yeah. Because I think the old format was four by three or something like that. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. And, and I, I, again, I don't know if this technically holds the crown for the first to reintroduce it. Uh, the point I want to bring up in this is as far as a, uh, you know, a, a factor that you're going to be engaging with in the film from the get-go, it unfortunately isn't something that I would say is executed in the best way. Okay. I think it's there to create a cozy type of style to this horror film. Uh, there is a somber, melancholy reflectiveness in a ghost story, but it uh, the execution of that letterbox style is far from the best. I, st- I think The Crown mm. definitely goes to Lighthouse for its use of darkness. Uh, and, I mean, if you want a blockbuster, uh, there's always the four-hour Snyder Cut in the resolution of that as well. <laughs> so, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, wow. uh, okay. in, it's in that uh, it's in that four by three. Maybe not as drastic, but you right. Know, okay. It's uh, that was his choice. So <laughs> for four hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, overall, this movie. Uh, I mean, I. Art House is really where it's at uh, for my description here. And once again, to stay away from spoilers, uh, I want to want to stay away from too much of a description here in case you really enjoy that type of subgenre to horror. This movie is about ghosts uh, and <laughs> a ghost story. <laughs> uh, and it is a little bit about how a ghost comes to exist, what a ghost life is. Uh, and in that, there is a slow, slow, slow pacing to this film. Uh, not very long, too. Another snoozer. Uh, not very long as far as the runtime. Yes, yeah, about an hour and a half. Uh, and that hour and a half feel is, it. ooh, my God. There really? is uh, an entire scene where we watch a character eat a whole pie, start <laughs> to finish. You, you must have been white-knuckling it through. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. That I mean, that right there for me. Uh, Especially I, when you're at an hour and a half, it should oh, be right. moving. It should be right. So and, there's just not that much content in and, this film. Uh, it's the content is there. It's just very much going for a specific feeling of melancholy uh, and somberness. You know, okay, right in the very title, it is a ghost right. story. It's, We're not really experiencing this from any other point other than a ghost. So um, there is maybe a an artistic uh, viewpoint that there there's a distortion of time and and whatnot, and and there's weird emphasis on what events that a ghost would see and put importance in. But overall, I'm telling you, it just did not work for me. The hype was not living up to this one. Wow, okay. Um, and I wonder if this had it because um, Casey Affleck was just coming off of Manchester by the Sea. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. was a juggernaut uh, as far amazing as... Amazing film. Yeah, and especially for him, too, just the awards and accreditations mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. I wonder if that helped towards the hype or, any, or anything yeah. like that. Uh, I, and he struck me with melancholy. It's like, well, you got the right guy for it. Yeah, very true. <laughs> I mean, what is Manchester about? See, yeah, me- melancholy. Yeah. Let, let me focus on some positives here because this is a pretty unique film, and I think it definitely deserves uh, a a nod to say, wow, uh, this coming out in 2000, uh, 2017, especially with the with the unique aspect ratio, that's got to be something refreshing to see. But what what comes up always in my criticism is we watch movies in the here and now, and I think especially for some of those notes to say, oh, wow, you got to see this for how it's presented on screen. Again, there are better implementations for that, uh, and I would say as far as moody, melancholic stories, even from the same director for Green Knight, I think it's done right, right. better. There is a cool feel, and the visual theme of the... The setting of the afterlife is 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 pretty interesting. Uh, the ghost world itself has a somberness existence, and and that's interesting to see. It's almost a disorienting horror. Uh, if I had to elaborate on that, you you can kind of get past some of the scenes when you realize our viewpoint is from the viewpoint of a ghost, and maybe there is a disassociation with time. Uh, you know, more of a human kind of construct. Sure, sure. Um, but you know those 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 length of those scenes. <laughs> Again, I have to be practical here. The, those length of those scenes. You know, even if you're really enveloped in the horror, and you can find the horror behind the stakes of what's going on, sure. behind the, the 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 long the long takes. It's. I don't know. It, it, it again. It just did not hit for me. Yeah, it's missing something. And what's interesting is sometimes in those horror um, sequences, like long, drawn out. I mean, those could be some of the most compelling things. Mm. Well, you think you think about like when we watched uh, Blair Witch Project, mm, and yep. some of the best parts was actually when you have a blank black screen. Yes. and just going off of sound. Like mm-hmm. if it's done well, those scenes could be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But then when it's not, it's like yeah, you're, you're sitting there checking your watch, being right? Like, right. Still gonna finish the whole pie, isn't he? Huh? <laughs> And, and boy, she does. <laughs> and and believe me, I, I think that's exactly why in my in my entry description of this is art house horror. It's mm-hmm. yeah. art house first, horror second. Sure, sure. Uh, which is is not bad. Uh, but again, this uh, this criticism, uh, what we do on the podcast, it's about what time you're putting towards uh, a movie's experience, yeah. and if the experiences are better in in other interpretations from the director itself. Then I, I I don't know I. It's true because the purpose here is you know I haven't seen this movie and mm-hmm. I'm about to sit down. Should I watch it or should I not? And mm-hmm. I'm coming to the daily ratings. Mm-hmm. 
that's it because I'm watching it in the here and now. Yep. I can't yep. put myself back then. Yep. You know, which, I mean, it's only 2017, but it's like that for every film. Right. Just like The Fly. You know what I mean? It's sure. the same thing. You can't put yourself back there because mm-hmm. I'm watching it right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think for the runtime, especially, I, I that's that's where I knock this movie from going. Hey, it's it's depending on what flavor you like. To I think this is a little bit more trending on a bad movie. Every scene is too long, and yes, it. Some scenes really hit with their length because it sets in, and there is a horror behind uh, mm-hmm. the stakes, and one, and that only really comes with you sitting on a scene and stewing on it, and almost saying, oh, "Well, what is this movie trying to tell me from this?" Because there's very little narrative, but the narrative is in this uh, this uh, solitude, the composition of of what's going on screen. What the problem in is, if I can illustrate it, is that if because every scene is too long, it makes the bad ones worse and almost mm. creates a moment that your tolerance to look deeply and really study what's on screen is worn down by the end of the film because you don't know which scenes are droning for the reason of just creating some somber environment or droning because there is a deeper meaning and you're supposed to grasp a, a an aspect, a factor of horror behind what's actually happening and what's being communicated. So again, in that execution, it's certainly a style to have something so slow in an, you know, in an hour and 30 minute runtime. But the fact that the movie puts a spotlight on what it puts a spotlight on is where I'm judging this to be... Uh, more trending bad than anything. Okay. Uh, and, and and coming out of this movie pretty frustrated for that reason. It was like, we, we spent our time with this. Some recurring uh, themes here on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the end of the barrel with the, with the horror <laughs> movies. Um, let, let, me, let me say a caveat here before we go into some of the, some of the score here. Uh, there are many, many other worse movies deserving of this score. But I have to rank this movie this way because... I really do believe it was a waste of time. If you are interested in the tones of a somber, introspective ghost story, honestly, I'm almost of a... I mean, this is this is kind of sacrilegious for a critic to say, but look up the YouTube video of the conclusion. Uh, you know what I mean? There, wow. there, you, can, you can get it from that. I don't think wow. you need to sit through this film. And I can't stress enough, I really don't want to knock this. I like uh, the director. I like where he's going. I was a big fan of Green Knight. I think this movie gets this rating because it was a waste of time, not because it necessarily deserves this low of a score, because believe me, there's a lot, a lot worse movies out there. But the, again, there was just, uh, the, I, I came away frustrated. And I think that's probably one of the worst things you can have out of an art house experience. Sure, absolutely. Because yeah. you want to go away and be like, even if it was slow and whatnot, you come away with some greater meaning or something like that. Greater that meaning or a lot of thought, me. something to give you, yeah, some, something for you to think on or something like that, yeah. And the movie certainly tries to do that. The right. movie does have a, a deeper story to tell. Uh, and like I said a, a couple times already, a horror behind the stakes of what's being presented on screen. But um, the result of that and what that really is... It's a, it's an elevator pitch at best. A very one note. For that reason, we will go ahead and give a ghost story a 29. 20, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I mean, listen, there's there's a lot worse movies out here. Yeah, I was thinking 40s again. 
Yeah. But I, I, I can't get over the fact that I really came away feeling that this was you're annoyed. <laughs> a waste. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a shame. But another, I, yeah, another definitely surprising one. Just yeah. because when you look at, you know, you look at the cast, you look at the director. Sure. Yeah. You just don't expect it. Watch Green Knight for the director. Watch Lighthouse for the aspect ratio. And, and the artsiness. You yeah. Talk about abs- oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. But yeah, that's where I stand on. Okay. Yeah. No, hey, 29. That's fair mm-hmm. in its own way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, some stinkers. <laughs> but before, so those are our four uh, previous, previously released films. We just want to take a quick moment now and just kind of give our little producer segment here. Again, Vin and I are not going off of corporate advertising. We're staying away from sponsors. We're basically just going off of our producers, which are you. Any of you who decide to go to the daily ratings, go to the donations tab and uh, uh, give us some sort of monetary value. Uh, you are a producer of the podcast, of our website. It's a real producer credit. Just like in Hollywood, you are helping produce the podcast and the website. And again, the word is value there, the value for value model. Are you getting value from the podcast or the site? Are you always flipping through, looking at film scores just because you're curious? Are you sitting down with your girlfriend and it's like, well, should we watch this? Should we not? <laughs> Screw some of the other guys. Check out Daily Ratings. And, uh, you know, if you want to listen to, we usually do 10, 15-minute quick reviews, something like that. You know, listen to the review or just check out the site. And like I said, if it's value for value model, it's pretty simple. So we want to thank you, the producers. And uh, you go ahead and you give what other donation you want. You write a note. And we'll read it on air, and we'll discuss it, and we're kind of just building uh, our own little community, our own little tribe here. So, again, we appreciate you so much, and uh, it's at dailyratings.com. All right, we're going to continue. We have one more film here, and it is our newly released, now in theaters film, and that is The Last Duel. Yes, okay. So, um, as far as this movie, this movie is probably going to get, if I had to put my guess to an Oscar nod, I think this is probably going to get up there. It was getting uh, the hype. Yes, it's certainly getting the hype for the performance. We have Ridley Scott never stopping making films. Uh, he is, he's making, uh, these, these are two big films that he has this year. It's uh, weird, it's weird. This movie and House of Gucci. Uh, which are coming out fairly close to each other as yeah, well. Yeah, it's almost like Last Duel was a lot of COVID making and they mm. wanted to save it or it was just prolonged because of COVID. I think I think that might be uh, right on the money. But yeah. uh, regardless, we also have a hype around uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon penning a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we have Goodwill Hunting being a, a standout of that writing duo. Uh, so there was a quite a bit of hype around this film. Uh, the, even the way that it was presented was was uh, I don't want to use the word Oscar baity, but it was definitely shooting yeah, it, for a kind of a higher caliber, higher brow. It, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, this film overall is about a a kerfuffle, a a interaction between a knight and I believe a not a squire, but a upcoming kind of taxman, kind of a. a, a a medieval numbers man, if you will, okay. that have a relationship and have a interaction and a dispute over Matt Damon's wife. Now, when it comes to the last duel, you see right in the in the trailer that it's building up towards a single climax, uh, right in the very name, the last duel. Uh, this movie is not action packed by any means and does not have multiple points of conflict into it. Rather, how this movie is set up is in three sections. We get basically uh, Matt Damon's uh, character's story mm-hmm. from his perspective. 
we get Adam Driver's character story from his perspective. And then finally, we get Jody. Uh, is it Jody Cope? Uh, uh, Comer. Jody Comer. We get uh, a final third perspective from her side of the story. And I want to give a lot of credit to how that's presented because I think that's pretty cool of how to present that type of uh, the story. It's from different perspectives and there's a lot to unpack there. I want to put a pin in that just for a second uh, because that does relate to some of the performances. At the end of the day, though, this w- the point I'm trying to make with the structure of the story and building up towards the last duel, it is a lot of of moments that we are just putting our actors on screen and letting them act. This is not a film in the vein of Gladiator or something that Ridley Scott would direct like that, being a period piece. Right, right. And I think there was maybe some confusion around, oh, Ridley Scott's going back to this, this, you know. This. Sorry, we have yeah, exactly. yeah, Ridley Scott doing swords again. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So, and, and it's really not at all the case. It is much more a platform for these characters acting. Sets are very cool. There is a lot of care put into the lighting and the period-appropriate visuals, which I got to give a huge credit to. If there is going to be a potential front-runner for cinematography, uh, if there's going to be a a potential front-runner for visual design or anything like that, this film uh, is up there. It is, I think, for history buffs, there's going to be a lot to love here, which I think is important to note. It gives you the right setting. The feel is there. Yes, absolutely. If If I could describe how it is without maybe tying into specific scenes, I think it especially lands when the muck and the grime of a scene in the setting of a messy medieval period this is not you know uh, even though it touches on some higher society everything is really grimy it's matched so perfectly on screen with very muted colors and uh very downtrodden feel to to everything which is uh, i think a a wonderful match Mm, uh, on screen some of the performances in this three act structure some are great some are mad and some are bad. <laughs> Basically, it boils down to we have Adam and Jody are great. I think their performances are, are are right on spot, especially for Adam Driver. I'm a big fan already, but coming into this, I, I think he's really trying to go for a, a really standout performance, living into the character. Jody as well, I think she does probably even a better job than Adam because... If there's any story, it's her story here. Uh, what's odd is who's penning the script? Ben and Matt, I think it's bad. I, I think I think the That's performances unreal. are bad. It's unreal. <laughs> it's unreal. It really is. It's not I, unreal, but it's just like, it, it's really surprising. One, because of, you know, and, and maybe it was lightning in a bottle with Goodwill Hunting. Possibly. And maybe they just they that, those characters and the way they were writing for the times in their lives worked. But also, Matt I mean, uh, Ben Affleck also did Argo. Yes. Which was pretty renowned. Yep, absolutely. Um, it, yeah. I wonder what happened. I don't know. Uh, when, it, when it comes to Matt Damon, I, I, I don't want to be overly mean, but... <laughs> <laughs> It feels like baby's first Shakespeare performance. Uh, it feels very put on, and again, that may be a little bit uh, out of pocket, but no, no, it's it's, so. the, it's it, my real gut reaction okay, on it. Okay, yeah, you're watching it. It's just like this guy's trying too hard. It is. It is. There, there is there is an aspect of that here because I, again, it's it's almost in conflict because 
they are writing the thing. And, and there is there is a big respect that the screenplay has to historical figures. Uh, we have uh, King Charles in here, the character that Ben uh, Ben Affleck plays, apparently as well a historical figure in in the in the royalty of the time. But let's let's touch on Ben Affleck. Uh, wow, um, outright bad, uh, outright wow. bad. All the care put into the time appropriate factors, they're out the window with Ben's character. He he curses, uh, and it doesn't even sound. It, it takes you right out of the immersion of what it could be. He he talks very modern day. Yeah, it's not good. His beard. I mean, believe me, I'm not a history <laughs> professor, but I I would. <laughs> you know, I, it's something else. It's it's, and Ben's character in the film is a noble, so he is supposed to intentionally sound. Uh, a little bit different than the layman or especially Matt Damon's character who is supposed to be maybe a little bit lower brow uh, and less educated Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a plot element of the story but I I can't excuse Ben's performance because and especially with the writing because it's highlighted so well in other characters Uh, a minor character but Alex Lawther plays King Charles in this. There is a theme throughout the film that the soldiers, uh, the the more run-of-the-mill type of life in, in this world, they're less educated, but they're more grounded, where the nobles, they're disconnected with reality. They're manic, they're lackadaisical, they're not exactly virtuous in any sort of way, and that's drawn there. Ben Affleck's character definitely represents a a disconnect and a, a very hedonistic uh, type of approach to living at that time. But even in the same movie, we have King Charles acting the same way, but he's not throwing an f bomb out of nowhere. He doesn't have a goofy beard. Like it's 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 such a mismatch. And uh, the uh, fact that it's highlighted within the same film and done better by a minor character, it I can't tell you how much it spotlights Ben's performance but it's in weird a bad way. Ben Affleck helped write it. I know. So he helped write those good characters and the bad script of the other. Like, exactly. You would think there would just be more consistency there. And that's where my criticism is of the performance directly. Right. Uh, right. And and that that really is to to Ben. Netflix ex- ex- execution of this character because, hey, uh, I mean, maybe there again, I'm going to have a little bit of arm's length to my criticism here. Maybe there are historical factors that were heavily researched that fueled penning the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's exactly how these characters acted historically in some fashion. But uh, man, uh, the dialogue specifically, uh, above all else, I think is is where I have to really you know, fall on the sword over. <laughs> where I have to absolutely uh, dig into Ben Affleck's performances because it took me right out of of it and the dialogue is almost downright laughable it strips you out of all the care that is put into wow. the very careful shame. setting and timepiece appropriate stuff yeah that's that's a huge shame because in some area it's like it's so close to being good it's just it's interesting with how it could be so on mm, i know and then just so off at the same time again especially when it comes to the writing when ben affleck was a part of it mm-hmm. i mean those two uh, there was a third writer as well i think there's maybe four writers actually okay three or four but um it's weird that the consistency isn't there. Like yeah. some characters so on and then the other ones are off. It's especially when it comes to the physical work, like the cursing and things like that. Yes. 
strange. It, it's, it's strange because there's so much care put in el- elsewhere. But yeah, it's odd. It could have been such weird stuff with. I mean, honestly, it could be such weird stuff with COVID. It's like okay, yeah. you take care of this stuff. I'll take care of this. Uh, separate or you pieces. Take care of your character. Mm-hmm. I mean, who know? You know what I mean? Was yeah. was was um, Affleck just writing for Affleck? Maybe, maybe. I I, I think that's uh, that might be a good thing, and it maybe plays into this three act uh, or this three perspective structure right. to the story. As I mean, well, no matter what, it, it doesn't matter because it's when it comes down to it. Okay, I'm watching the movie. And how does it present itself? Mm, yeah, and it, it presents itself off balance. Right, it's, right. It's engaging and yet taking you straight out. And a COVID production isn't an excuse either. You know, no, uh, it's especially, a, especially when you have these actors and Ridley Scott behind absolutely. it and the money behind it. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's touch on that three perspective structure. I, I think uh, it breaks the movie up. And I, I really like this as a concept. I touched on that already. Uh, I think it's very interesting. I like that it's presenting itself in a very segmented way to the point of that it's almost chapters are presented in the screen uh, or on screen for, for the audience. I think if I had to criticize why I feel this is such a, a slow burn kind of Oscar-y type of movie, again, I don't want to use Oscar bait because I think that's kind of a catch-all turn, but maybe we slowly dig into what really makes makes that well, how about this? That's what that's that's what it's what it's being billed as. Yeah. Just because of what's going on. And it's it. true. It's, you know it's, I mean? it's, it's damned in its own market. Yeah, it's not us putting in that, in that category. True. Very true. But I think if I had to criticize this this how the how the narrative is set up is that there's very little insight gained from retreading these scenes again because the the perspectives are three different perspectives actors performances in the same scene are altered and that's very interesting to watch on screen that is a plus for sure the problem with it is that we go through similar scenes three times in the film and other than a very slight difference in the acting performance there's very little insight gain from this cross-examination in the film Uh, and I have to stick on this for a second because because it slows things down so so much. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, it, it it really it, it amplifies the problems I have with the performances because if these three broken up chapters of the film of the first you know three fourths of the film are going to be highlighting how characters act and giving them the actors a platform mm-hmm. to perform in different ways and varied ways, which is cool in concept. The amplification that happens is that I have to sit through Ben Affleck's terrible performance <laughs> three times. <Yeah. laughs> and yes, there's maybe some improvisation of how that changes, and there is a there is a fun examination that happens on screen to trying to spot what's different there. It's very surface level, and I don't think it's beyond. I, I don't. I don't think it pays off structuring the film this way for what we get from retreading sure. those scenes. Not only twice, three times. Does that make sense? Oh, my God. Absolutely. I'm thinking yeah. of this movie called Vantage Point. Oh, wow. Callback. What is that? 2007? Six-ish or something yeah. like that? Not a big movie. All, not all that big when it came out. Mm-hmm. Not all that big ever now. No one ever thinks about it. Right. Because it just wasn't that good. But it had this thing. It had this problem. Yes. Let's do the same scene over with a different vantage point, basically. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And... and I mean, it could be done cool, but it doesn't sound like yeah. the payoff is there. Good in concept, certainly, you know, is is three different perspectives that big a deal? No. There is advancement of the plot Again, as it, well. Again, it could work. It could yeah. work even, it could work really well, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it could have been done better. Yes. It could have been I, more well worth it if they would have done a little bit differently. Yeah, and, and if, if bottom line, it's going to come down to the actor's performances that we have to see on screen, that's that's where the movie is going to be doomed or saved. I think, again, it's split 50-50 down the middle. Adam, Jody, great. Matt, trending bad. 
been flat out bad. <laughs> so uh, take that for what it's worth. I'm sorry, Ben Affleck. I want you to. I want you to be good. I like Argo. I loved Argo. Yeah, a lot of people did. But... <laughs> Hit or missing again, and who knows what the reasons were behind it? But uh, yeah. very interesting how it's so up and down. I'm very interested to see with the critical praise this film is bound to get come Oscar time, come award season, what the actual historical context is. Because again, I don't have a respect towards that, uh, or I don't have an appreciation towards wow they got that right, or right. oh uh, this this character actually spoke that way. I think regardless, where I think uh, my opinion will be rock solid and won't change is that it's still in the feel of the film the type of performances that happen is specifically with 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 ben affleck it it takes you out of the period piece and this film is only period piece you know yeah and honestly the oscars are they're a trash heap or they're a shell of their former self right, in right. a way um kind of they've always been a bit trashy honestly but mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing is Forget looking into it that deep. It's Oscar bait because of the director and because of the people behind it or, mm-hmm. or in it. Regardless, if House of Gucci is better, people will completely forget about The Last Duel. And, and, <laughs> and all so spotlight will be on House of Gucci anyway. That's so true. That's so true. You know, and people, no, nobody's going to be looking into just like, oh, well, the set was really nice. So, Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They won't care. Yeah. As a final pro and con, the duel of The Last Duel is pretty great. Uh, I think if there is a promise following through on some good sword fighting action conflict on screen uh, that you may have been craving from Gladiator or something like that that Ridley sure. Scott has done, I think the follow through is impressive. Uh, there's impressive stunt work. There's impressive choreography. The prop work is is excellent. But as a climax, it's presented uh, intentionally unsatisfying. Uh, mm. Again, I don't want to get into spoilers, but there's almost a guilt associated with viewing this last duel. And for the fact that the film is a build-up towards this climax uh, between these characters, it's very unsatisfying because <laughs> uh, visually on screen, there's a lot going behind it. The production is extremely per- uh, impressive, but as the actual climax of the film... A little rough uh, because it's presented in such an odd way that we're almost not supposed to like uh, the action on screen, uh, which is which is tough. In contrast, Ridley's first film created such a genuine interest around a sequence of fights. Well, yeah, wow, the Duelist. Absolutely, um, that's really funny. Yeah, and, I don't know why I didn't think about that till now. Yeah, yeah. you sparked that, and it left me. Wanting the duelist because there was a genuine interest Rated in that these very fights. high. I suggest everyone go back to previous podcasts, yeah, absolutely, and check out the duelist. Yeah, yeah, it was Ridley's first film, absolutely. So, um, I just just a, a contrast that I want to draw because if this film is going to be called The Last Duel, I think there is a very natural expectation people come into wanting that action, mm-hmm. uh, where the duelists executed not that they're the very similar movies because again, it's really not as far as the drama. That unfolds, but the duelist. If 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 you're gonna want to watch uh, a sequence of conflict grow over a film again and again, the duelist is where it's at. And, and shockingly, you know, it's Ridley's first film. He's he's been there, done that. Very funny. You know, yeah. yeah. With that in mind, we will go ahead and give the last duel a sixty-eight. A sixty-eight. Okay. Yeah, still not that bad. It's actually, uh, I think you rated that higher than maybe what I was thinking uh, from what you were saying. Yeah, luckily I don't think... I think I still have interest in seeing it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Ben sinks the ship. 68's a pretty good score. Let's remind people. If you're sure. In the, if yeah. you're in the 60s, that's a good film. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're in the upper 60s there, that's still that's pretty good territory to be in still. Yeah, and, and like I said, I think um, 
history buffs, anyone that likes period pieces, I think there's a lot to love behind this production. Uh, and yeah, as that someone reason, that likes the love technical aspect of films, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so there's a, there's enjoyment there. But uh, awesome. Yeah, watch out for watch out watch for out Ben Affleck. Yeah, and Matt Damon. <laughs> It's, it's it's an odd one. Uh, very cool, Vin. That's uh, that's great. Do you have anything else to uh, add, or are we rolling credits here? I think we're good to go uh, for the most part. We are closing a lot of the horror. I hope all of you have enjoyed it, and uh, that it's it's saved you some time of uh, different horror films to jump into. Maybe not too many standouts, but really glad to dive into that. And we got a lot of blockbusters coming, so we'll certainly keep you packed and tell you what's worth going to the theaters and what's not. All right, very cool, Vin. Thanks for stopping by. And uh, we'll run it down one more time for you folks. Uh, Eraserhead at 62%, The Fly at 40 Army of Darkness at 48 A Ghost Story at 29 and The Last Duel at 68%. We thank you so much for stopping by, and we'll see you next week. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.